hello. Welcome to episode 14 of Pin Zero. I'm Maria. And I'm Caitlin. I should have grabbed my energy drink. Yes, you should have. I I am oh, exhausted. But, God bless it. <laughs> oh, I'm getting a oh. Well, here it is. My <laughs> son's birthday. Happy birthday, Edo Potato. Edo Potato. Yes. Okay. If I don't use his uh, nickname, everyone's going to be like, oh, you named your kid after a freaking emo band. Yes. Yes, I did. Anyways. Um. His name is Aiden, and he turns 12 today, so, yay! Happy birthday! I hope you're not listening to this. Uh, no. He, he probably <laughs> won't be, at least, well, I mean, he's my horror fan. He loves horror movies. He loves, like, anything guts and gore. It's it's fantastic. I raised him the right way. Um, Jackson is my, like, crybaby and refuses to watch anything that even has like the slightest bit of scariness in it um we watched the trailer for rings Mm -hmm. when it came out and he like was shivering against me he was like terrified and it was just the trailer so (laughs) he, he doesn't get to hang out and watch scary movies with us but anyway welcome to episode 14 um <laughs> we're gonna get things kicked off for the true crime fact of the day and this one's not even really like a true crime fact of the day it's more of like a birthday for somebody um carrie stainer the serial killer convicted of grisly murders of four women near yosemite national park was born on this day in 1961. In 1972, Stainer's childhood took a tragic turn when his younger brother, Stephen, then seven, was kidnapped while walking home from school in the family's hometown of Merced, California. Stephen's abductor, convicted child molester Kenneth Parnell, held him captive for seven years before he managed to escape and return home. Jesus. Yeah. Compounding the tragedy, Stephen was killed in a 1989 motorcycle accident. So, he didn't get to uh, live a very long life, which sucks. In 1997, Carrie Stainer began working as a handyman at the Cedar Lodge in the town of El Portal. El Portal? Yeah. <laughs> and get it together. Near Yosemite. Um, on February 15, 1999, three tourists at the motel... 42-year-old Carol Sund, her 15-year-old daughter Julie, and their 16-year-old family friend Silvina Peloso went missing. In March, the charred remains of Carol Sund and Peloso were discovered in the trunk of their burned-out rental car in the remote area several hours from the Cedar Lodge. Julie Sund's decomposed body was discovered on March 25th in an isolated location less than an hour away from the rental car. Investigators initially interviewed Stainer in the case, but didn't believe the clean-cut handyman, who had no history of violence, was involved. Hmm. Instead, the investigation focused on the employees at the Cedar Lodge uh, and on suspicious persons in the town of Modesto, where Carol Sun's wallet was found in the street several days after her disappearance. Then on July 22, 1999, 
the decapitated body of Joey Armstrong, a 26-year-old Yosemite naturalist, was found near her cabin. Investigators who believed she had been murdered the previous day questioned Stainer and searched his truck, but let him go. Wanting to talk to him further, authorities then tracked him down at Laguna del Sol Nudist Camp in Wilton, California, on July 24, 1999. Later that day, in a surprising confession to FBI agent Jeff Rinnick, Stainer admitted to killing all four women. He later stated that he had fantasized about killing women since he was a child, and during trial, his lawyer argued he suffered the effects of mental illness, childhood sexual abuse, and the trauma of his brother's kidnapping. Sander was convicted in all four murders and given the death penalty. Right. Yeah. Not that's going a... to tell my kid that he shares a birthday with a serial killer. Yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> that's... All right, so I went first last time. Do you want to go first, or do you want me to? Okay. Have you heard of the Watcher House? Vaguely, but yes. So, June of 2014, Derek and Maria Bradas purchased their dream home in Westfield, New Jersey. The house is located at 657 Boulevard. Almost immediately, they start receiving letters in the mail from someone claiming that they were watching the house. The first letter. Dearest new neighbor at 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. How did you end up here? Did 657 Boulevard call to you with its force within? 657 Boulevard is the subject of my family for decades now, and as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, and my father watched it in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. I see already that you flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors so you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. Tisk, 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 bad mood. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. If you have children... I'm sorry, you have children. I have seen them. So far, I think that there are three that I have counted. Are there more on the way? Do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for the growing family, or was it greed to bring me your children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. Hundreds of cars pass by the house every single day. Maybe I'm in one. Check all the windows that can be seen from 657 Boulevard. Perhaps I'm in one. Welcome, my friends. Welcome. Let the party begin. Sign the Watcher. Yeah, because that's, you know, not fucking creepy at all. <laughs> like, I have chills and all you did was read that. God. There was no return address on the envelope. And the of course not. had no clue who might have sent the letter. And Derek called the police immediately and the officer was dumbfounded by the story. He then contacted the previous owners who had lived at 657 Boulevard for the 23 years prior. They said they had never received a letter until they were getting ready to sell to the Broadduses. The second letter. Things were quiet for the next few weeks. Construction and renovation continued throughout the house. Maria then finds another envelope, this time addressed to them directly. Welcome again to your new home at 657 Boulevard. The workers have been busy and I have been watching you unload careful of your personal belongings. I don't know if that was supposed to be in there or not. 
The dumpster is a night's touch. The house is crying from all the pain it is going through. You have changed it and made it so fancy. You are stealing its history. It cries for the past and what used to be in the time when I roamed its halls. The 1960s were a good time for 657 Boulevard when I ran from room to room imagining the life with the rich occupants there. The house was full of life and young blood. Then it got old and so did my father. But he kept watching until the day he died. And now I watch and wait for the day when the young blood will be mine again. Have you found what's in the walls yet? In time, they will. I am pleased to know your names now and the name of the young blood you have brought me. You certainly say their names often. 657 Boulevard is just for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement? Or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Will they sleep in the attic? Or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedroom facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. All of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I'm the watcher and have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. I passed by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession. And now you are too, Broadus family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought you the past three families to 657 Boulevard, and now it has brought you to me. Have a happy moving in day. You know I will be watching. <sighs> I hate that he keeps calling the kids young blood. Yeah. So, you know how... I think there was a show or a movie and they kept getting videos of what they were doing inside the house. I think it was an episode of Goosebumps, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. But each day there's a new video of something going on inside the house. Or like there's a letter or something. It's basically the same concept, just not as creepy. But I'm pretty sure there's like a movie or something based off of this house. I just can't remember what it's called. Derek then learned about the next door neighbors, the Langfords. The detective spoke with Mr. Langford about the letters when the first one was received. He claimed that he had no knowledge of them. However, Mr. Langford was not believed to have the mental capacity to write letters in the same way that the author had. Well, I mean, if... If he was possessed, maybe. Sorry, my brain on <laughs> to like the worst possible thing. You ready for the third letter? Yeah. Hit me with the best shot. 657 Boulevard is turning on me. It is coming after me. I don't understand why. What spell did you cast on it? It used to be my friend and now it is my enemy. I am in charge of 657 Boulevard. It is not in charge of me. I will fend off its bad things and wait for it to become good again. It will not punish me. I will rise again. I will be patient and wait for this to pass and for you to bring the young blood back to me. 657 Boulevard needs young blood. It needs you. Come back. Let the young blood play again like I once did. Let the young blood, young blood sleep in 657 Boulevard. Stop changing it and let it alone. So, obviously they're not staying in the house. <laughs> 
they moved in with Maria's parents at this point. Okay. I would not want to stay in the house either if people were watching it. Right. Um, at this point, Derek had reached out to former FBI agent Robert Lennon, who provided a threat level analysis as well as a psychological profile of the author. He felt that whoever wrote the letters was well-read and that the absence of vulgar language was surprising. He considered the author to be erratic based on a couple of spelling errors, but would be unlikely to follow through on any threats. The profiler concluded that it was someone in their 50s or 60s who lived nearby and who was less macho than what most people might suspect. Hmm. A mere six months after they purchased the home, it was back on the market. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then soon after that, the Broadduses filed a legal suit for damages against the Woods, the previous owners of the house, because neglected to tell them that they received a letter before they actually sold the house. Oh. Yeah. Uh, they, cr- mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they claimed fraudulent concealment, intentional and negligent infliction of emotional distress, and several other issues related to the sale of property. The judge immediately threw out the case, stating that he didn't want to enforce a burden on future sellers that they need to disclose to buyers. And then the last one. In a last-ditch effort to recover their losses, the Broadduses attempted to get permission from the city to level the house and create two smaller lots that would be used to build two smaller homes. The board rejected this proposal, citing issues with lighting and potential harm to the trees along adjoining properties. They were able to rent the house out with grown children and two large dogs. Two weeks later, the tenant handed Derek an envelope with another threatening letter, and this time it was addressed directly to Derek and Maria. Ready? Yep. Violent winds and bitter cold to the vile and spiteful Derek and his wench of a wife, Maria. You wonder who the watcher is? Turn around, idiots. Maybe you even spoke to me, one of the so-called neighbors who has no idea who the watcher could be. Or maybe you do know and are too scared to tell anyone. Good move. I walked by the news trucks when they took over my neighborhood and mocked me. I watch you as you watch from the dark house in an attempt to find me. Telescopes and binoculars are wonderful inventions. 657 Boulevard survived your attempted assault and stood strong with its army of supporters barricading its gates. My soldiers of the Boulevard followed my orders to a T. They carried out their mission and stole 657 Boulevard with my orders. All hail the watcher. Maybe a car accident. Maybe a fire. Maybe something as simple as a mild illness that never seems to go away, but makes you feel sick day after day after day after day. Maybe the mysterious death of a pet. Loved ones suddenly die. Planes and cars and bicycles crash. Bones break. Because they didn't want to live in the house, and they wanted to change shit. Jesus. This last letter that the Broadduses received and they sold the home in August of 2019 for $960,000. I'm sorry, but I wouldn't pay that much. Oh, that's $400,000 less than what they bought it for. I wouldn't pay that much. (laughs) Sorry, but if I'm going to get threatening fucking letters the whole time I live there, no. Sorry about your luck. Ain't paying that much. No. 
Like, I'm still regretting the fact that I spent 121000 on my house. Because <laughs> we're still finding shit wrong. Oh, yeah. Ours, ours was the the flip deal. Mm-hmm. They used crappy builder grade yep. materials. The walls aren't straight. Yeah, all of, like, our house was flipped. Our shower, when you look up at the light fixture that's in our shower, you can see the hole that they cut. Like, you can see the corners of the hole. Because instead of cutting a circle, they cut a square that was too big for the light fixture. All right, so we're going to go to Russia. And this case was, like, just very recently brought to light. Okay. Like, not very many people knew about it beforehand. So, we're going to talk about the Granny Ripper. I think I've heard this before. Tamara Samsonova was born on April 25th, 1947. Very little was able to be found regarding her past. However, I did find that she graduated from high school and arrived in Moscow and then attended the Moscow State Linguistic University. After graduating, she moved to St. Petersburg, where she married Alexei Samsonov in 1971. For some time, she worked in the Grand Hotel Europe um, as a linguistic specialist. Um, the amount of work experience Samsonova gathered at that time, or at the time of her retirement, was only 16 years. In the year 2000, like, there's a big gap yeah. here. So Samsonova's husband disappeared. Supposedly, she killed him and got rid of the body. Okay. She appealed to the police, but searches came up with nothing. Um, 15 years later, in April of 2015... She turned towards the authorities again, this time to invest the investigative unit of the Fruzinski district in St. Petersburg, giving a statement about her spouse's disappearance. After her husband's disappearance, she began renting out a room in her apartment. According to investigators on September 6, 2003, she killed her tenant. He was a 44-year-old resident from Norslet. Nor... Norals? Yeah. I don't even know how to pronounce that. Um, she then dismembered his corpse and disposed of it on the street. Oh. In March of 2015, so we're going back to a month before she went to the police about her husband. Um, Samsonova met 79-year-old Valentina Ulanova, who also lived on the same street she did. A friend of the two asked Ulanova to shelter Samsonova for a time due to the fact that Samsonova's apartment was being renovated. Ulanova agreed. Samsonova lived in her apartment for several months, helping with the housework. She began to like living in the apartment and wanted to stay there for longer and refused to move out. Over time, the relationship between the two deteriorated and Yulanova eventually asked Samsonova to leave. 
After another disagreement, she decided that she was going to poison her. Samsonova traveled to Pushkin, where she managed to persuade a pharmacist to sell her a prescription drug, Phenazepam. Upon returning to the city, she bought an Oliver salad, one of Yulanova's favorite dishes, and then put the pills in the salad and gave it to the unsuspecting woman. Samsonova later found Yulanova's body laying on the kitchen floor on the night of July 23rd and proceeded to dismember it with two knives and a saw. First, she sawed off the victim's head, then sawed the body in half, then using the knives, she sheared it into pieces. She then wrapped her in a shower curtain and placed her inside garbage bags to take out all the bags. She had to go outside and return several times. Samsonova left other parts of the body scattered on the house. She even was seen on CCTV carrying a pot down the stairs that contained Yulanova's head. Oh. Yes. July 6th, or 26th, 2015, dog sniffed out the remains of 79-year-old Valentina at an, at an apartment building in the suburbs of St. Petersburg, Russia. Her body had been decapitated and spread across seven different garbage bags. CCTV and blood trails on the floor of the apartment building led police to the door of Tamara. When police arrived, she immediately confessed to killing Mrs. Ulanova, as well as three others. She was detained as the police searched the home and found bizarre diaries written in German, English, and Russian. Reading from her diary, it was clear that she enjoyed living with and caring for Valentina, she wrote, I love Vila, or Valia, which was her nickname for Valentina. However, reading earlier entries into the diary, you can see that she was not entirely sweet. I killed my tenant, Vladya, cut him to pieces in the bathroom with a knife, and put the pieces of his body in plastic bags and threw them away in different parts of Frunzinski district. Samsonova confessed to police that Valentina had told her, I'm tired of you, but she was afraid to leave and go back to living alone in her home. I was scared to live at home, she said. I panicked. By killing her, she admitted that she could live in Valentina's home for another five months until her relatives turned up or someone else. She put the body in various bags and her head into a saucepan, neither of which had yet to be recovered. CCTV again, shows Samsonova carrying the garbage bag down the stairs and out of the building, as well as carrying the saucepan with a lid outside. Yulanova's head was never recovered. N- Natalia Fedotovskaya? Don't, don't ask. <laughs> I suck at German and Russian and everything else. Yeah, it's bad. A friend and neighbor of Miss Yulanova said it's very likely that she threw this saucepan with the head into the garbage, which is usually taken away on sun- on a Saturday morning, so it seems the head is gone with the trash. It'll be hard to find now. Oh, yeah. Based on the condition of Mrs. Yulanova's body parts, police suspect Samsonova not only cut her up to make discarding her body easier, but also possibly ate some of her. In court, Samsonova was pictured blowing kisses to reporters and even caught celebrating when the judge told her she would be held in full custody. P- 
police have evidence linking Samsonova to at least 11 deaths. Suspected victims include other neighbors, former tenants, her mother, and even her husband, who was reported missing around 2005. No bodies have been found, making it difficult to convict. However, Samsonova is currently being detained in the high-security Kazan Psychiatric Prison Hospital for a detailed assessment before she stands trial. Evidence gathered in St. Petersburg found her to be insane. Once her assessment is over, her trial will commence and she will be returning to St. Petersburg, but for now, she is only being charged with one murder of Valentina Ulanova. That's insane. Like, yeah. Legit She's like old. Right. Born in 74, right? No, 47. Dear Lord, my dyslexia is kicking in. That's a big gap, friend. I'm tired. (laughs) 2021 minus 1947. She's 74. That's where I got the 74. There you go. Found it. So, she's 74. And... She's being convicted of at least one murder. Well. All because she didn't want to be alone. She decided that she was going to get caught this time. Because she doesn't want to be alone. It could be the guy that stole his love interest body and kept putting makeup and concrete and stuff on her face. I'm going to have to do that one. Yeah. I don't know. All all it reminds me of is uh like the whole leather face thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like you just you fall in love with certain body parts and you just decide to keep them. Like I I couldn't be a serial killer. There's too, there's too much, like, logic that goes behind it. I, I'm pretty convinced I bought the house with two different shoes on before I noticed. So, <laughs> I almost did today. And the sad thing is, I'm wearing my Converse. I almost grabbed one of Aiden's blue ones. Because we wear the same damn size shoe. Converse, that's acceptable, though. Yeah, I mean, I when I was growing up. cool thing. When I was growing up, I never, I never meshed my Converse. Ever. They were always two different colors. They were never low tops and high tops, though. Oh, yeah, you can't do that. I mean, you could, but that'd be, that, that'd get annoying after a while. That's too much fun. <laughs> too much fun. Anyways, now that we've gone off the rails again, um, it wouldn't be an episode if we didn't say don't be a garbage human, which we have not done yet. Um, so don't be a garbage human. Um, and thanks for hanging out through episode 14, even though it was a little shorter than we were planned. However, with this being a not so well-known case yet, there's not going to be very much that we can find on it. That and it's in Russia. So go back to a couple episodes ago. Where I said, you know, 
Russia is only going to let you know what they want you to know. Yeah. So, it's been but, fun. If you really want to cruise the internet, you can check out our Instagram. Yes. See what I did there? <laughs> Ten Zero Podcast on Instagram. Um, Facebook, Ten Zero. True crime and paranormal, paranormal stories, stories from behind the headset. Why can I not remember that? I don't today? know. I was just looking at it, too. Oh, um, I'm going to have to shorten that because that's a mouthful. <laughs> it is, but at the same time, like, I think that's what is going to set us apart from other podcasts that advertise book. Um, yeah, share the heck out of it. If you like us, if you think we're deserving of it, share it. Yeah. Or... If you don't want to do that, leaving a review on whatever platform you're listening from would also be helpful. Yes. Just saying, throwing it out there. I mean, we're, we're a little dysfunctional, but we're... A little? <laughs> a lot All right, so we're a lot yeah. dysfunctional. <laughs> a lot uh, But we're, we at least try to make it fun for you guys going off on our little tangents. But again, thanks for hanging out and listening. Um, we also, sorry, squirrel, have our square site. Yes. With all of our decals and stuff. Um, we cut all of these out ourselves. Yes. So buy them if you want. They're handmade. Hey, hey. Um, and all of the proceeds will be going to new equipment. New equipment. Because we need it. Yes. <laughs> we need to uh, get me updated to something other than my. Very, very slow, very, very laggy laptop. Yeah. And get it to where we can hopefully be all functioning on the same equipment at all times. So. Well, guys, thanks for hanging in there with us. And we will see you next week for episode 15. Yep. Stay safe. And don't become the next 10-0.